the parable of the two sons. You know it. Maybe you called it the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 32. And we're going to take a look at all those verses. So put your seatbelts on and get ready. Um, as many of you know, I grew up in a, in a tough situation. Lots of divorces, strange sleepovers, alcohol abuse, physical abuse, and, and much more. And maybe as a result of that, I don't know, I remember the first time I ran away from home. Now, some of y'all are looking at me funny like you, you never thought about that or whatever, but I'll, I'll never forget it. I was in fourth grade, I think, and when the first time I ran away from home, and I made it to the end of the street, <laughs> and then I came back home and hid uh, under or beside the porch until I finally had to go in. It was dark, and I was hungry and wanted to eat, so you might... Uh, you might think about that. Good planning, huh? Really good planning. You're going to run away. Plan that out well. Had it all figured out. No, I didn't. Um, but uh, on a more serious note, four of my siblings did run away. And they ran away from home. And they planned it out. And they ran far, far away. And there was great pain in the family because of this. There was lost relationships, even to this day, I believe. Lost time together and great sadness. Today, as we've heard the scripture passage read, we're going to look at another parable about lostness, a runaway parable, if you will. And I, there's different ways to look at this parable. Jesus is teaching us. I want us, can you just maybe write on the top of your sermon notes there, lostness. So you're thinking as we look at each verse, each section, each character of the parable, we're thinking about lostness how this relates to lostness. I hope it will be encouraging to you as you see the response of the father to lostness. Jesus again expresses his point about rejoicing over repentance. You'll remember we looked at the first part of Luke chapter 15, a couple other par parables dealing with lostness. But notice here the perspective changes. The primary character is not the seeker. It's not the shepherd. Remember the lady who lost the coin. It's not the seeker here, but it's the one who's lost. That's where the perspective is. Today we will see rebellion, repentance, restoration, and self-righteousness. Let's pray. God, speak to us today from these verses familiar to many. Encourage us, Lord about who you are, touch our hearts, inspire us to serve in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we, we could look at the lens of coming back or recommitment, but I want us to really look today at lostness. This powerful teaching concludes these series of parables here in this chapter. And so we're going to break it down. I'm going to give you three characters. Uh, first point, or part number one, is the younger son. We're going to spend more time on this. Jesus spent more time on it. There's more verses there. But more time on the younger son, verses 11 through 20a. And I've put a few things in the, the sermon notes. I just want to comment on them. I'm not going to reread all those verses again. It takes about four and a half minutes, I think, if I timed it right. So we'll just remember the beautiful voice that read it to you. Didn't that sound a lot better than your pastor? Why are you agreeing so quickly with that? Did you see that? I don't know. So the first, first thing I thought of was selfish. As we look at the request of this younger son, we see it's a very selfish request. It was unusual. It was not unheard of. 
It was, a father could settle his estate before death, but it was very unusual. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, the older son got the double portion. Do you remember that? So this younger son did not get that. He got one-third of the state. The estate. Now notice, the young man had everything already. At the time he asked selfishly, give me, give me this inheritance, he was experiencing all of it. He was experiencing all of the estate, and yet he was blinded by something. And he did, in fact, say, give me. He had not earned it yet. There was no pleas. He was demanding. He wanted to do his old thing. In fact, I would say he, Jesus gives us a picture of someone who is greedy. Luke 12, 15. Listen to Luke 12, 15. Then Jesus said to them, Beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You see, this younger son, he wanted to be cut loose. He wanted a shortcut. And by the way, the devil has a lot of shortcuts. Have you ever taken one of those? He has a lot of shortcuts, and uh, they uh, look appealing at the time. But once you've made the shortcut, you're like, why did I do that? I ended up in the wrong place, not where I thought I would. But he wanted a shortcut. And notice what the father did. The father gave to him, even though he was not required to do this, he was not required to, make, uh, to, to receive this request and say, okay, nevertheless, he did it. So let's look and see what happens to this younger son. Number one, he's now fatherless. He was eager to go and gratify sin sinful desires. And I would just tell you this about evil and evil things. Evil does not want to stay around good. Have you ever noticed that? Evil doesn't want to hang around with good. Okay? Some of you got saved uh, as older teenagers or in college or as adults, and all of a sudden, guess what? Your friends didn't want to hang around with you. Evil does not want to stay around with good. But he's ready to go and gratify sinful desires. And the scripture says he goes to a distant country. Interesting word that shows us something that it is actually distant. It wasn't around a corner like the fourth grader who went down the street and ended up back at the, the porch thinking he was going to run away, okay? Now, um, what we need to know about distant is this today. It was beyond all interference from home. We don't need to try to theorize. It's a parable. We need to try to figure out, well, how far is that exactly? But just know it was far enough where there was nothing about home in his life. Very different from home. He burned all of his bridges. He burned. And now you just think about people for a minute. People that uh, maybe don't want anything to do with God. There's a lot of people out there. They may not know it's called sin, but they recognize it in their life, just like we have, and they know there's something going on here, and let me distance myself from God, from home base. Sinful people often stay away from God in church. Have you noticed that? Which I find funny because look at the person to the right of you and to the left of you. We're all sinful people and we're here at church. But for some reason in the human mind, if I'm doing this or that, if I'm in sin, let me just stay away from God. Let me stay away from church. So he's fatherless. Number two, he's penniless. 
It's this, the scripture says he engaged in foolish living. What does that mean? Here's what that word means. Unsaving, loose, reckless, extravagant. You get in the picture? There was not a noble or worthy purpose to it. It means unrestrained. This is the kind of living that he was engaging in far away from home. And then the scripture tells us that he squandered his inheritance. That word squandered means this. It means to scatter abroad. It's like if you take seed or grain or scatter it abroad. Any of you remember how you used to be able to do the seed in the little... Some of y'all? Anybody? Or the fertilizer before we had the fancy things and the spray and all that? You go like this and it was called what? A broadcast spreader. That's the picture here. He was just, there it goes, there it goes. He was getting rid of it. He had taken, the scripture says, all that he owned. It gives the idea, uh, he gathered it together, gives the idea that it was converted to cash. All that he had was converted so he could spin. There was nothing to come back to. I want you to remember that. Now notice something else that happens in scripture along this point as he's doing all this. In fact, he had spent it all. He'd squandered it all. Are you with me so far? You staying with me? And guess what happens? A famine, Scripture says, comes. A famine comes. I think that's interesting to look at. When does the famine come? It doesn't come until he had spent it all. He had nothing, and then this calamity hits, and so he becomes destitute. Not only is he fatherless, but now he's penniless. Now he's facing disaster. Without his father, there's no connection to his father. And I want to tell you something about sin and about sinners and about being lost. And it's this, sin is a ruthless boss. It separates you from everyone who can help you. It separates you from a lot of things and it can be ruthless. He had, we would say, an empty checkbook. But he had more than that. I believe he had an empty heart. And we see the famine comes and that's just the whammy on top of it all. You know what the famine is? The famine is God at work. God is at work. Well, let's move on. Not only is he fatherless, not only is he penniless, he's also friendless. He's alone. No so-called friends. You know, people, it, it doesn't quite say exactly all that, but people have written books and articles on it and just picture all the parties going on and all the friends. We're assuming that, but he is alone at this point. There's nobody like a, the father or someone else who loves him might come up alongside him at this point. He's at rock bottom. But you know what? He's still prideful. Did you catch that? Well, how can you say that, Lamar, that he's still prideful? He wasn't ready to go home yet. He wasn't ready to go home. He was still right where he was, far away in the distant country. I think that's interesting to look at. In fact, we know what kind of country he's in. He's in a Gentile country. Did you catch that? He's in a country full of pig farmers. Okay? Interesting. Well, what, why do you say that, Lamar? What's the big deal? Well, think about this Jewish young man. He, uh, pigs were considered unclean animals to Jews. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, you can look at it. I praise God often that I'm not Jewish. Now, hold on. It's because I love pig. Do any of you love pig? Who likes baby back ribs? Anybody? Gregory. Who likes pulled pork? Who likes that good ham? Just Okay, and here's the kicker. Bacon. <laughs> I, look. 
we should have taken up an offering and had an invitation right then because the hands were going up. I see all those hands going up. Yeah. So it's a Gentile country. These, he, he experienced what I call a threefold dishonor. Just track with me for a minute, okay? He, he's now getting to experiencing being part of a swine herder. Secondly, he basically becomes a slave to this. And third, his boss or his taskmaster who's giving him this quote-unquote job is a Gentile boss. This is a very clear picture. Do you remember in Luke 15, these parables, who Jesus is speaking to? He's gone through this, 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 and this, and now he's responding to those scribes and those Pharisees. And I want to tell you something. They got that. They could see the picture. We have to explain it because some of y'all didn't know that pork was an issue. Now you do. You travel with us overseas to the countries we go to, guess what? No bacon. Unless you just sneak it in to the country. Did I, are we recording this? I think we are. Wow. That's a picture that they got. They understood. And I would say this. Just think about this for a minute. What sin, what lostness does, if you live for yourself, you're soon going to be living by yourself. Mark it. We could have person after person come up here and testify and give testimony how sin in our lives strain, uh, cause problems with relationships, with family members, with other things. We could go on and on and on. Well, let's continue on. Here's another thing. He was foodless. The scripture says he was longing for something. He was longing, this is what he was longing for. Some tree seed casings fed to the pigs, the carob tree. Okay? And when it says longing there in the biblical language, it gives the idea it was continual. It was on and on and on and it was not met. This just wasn't a one-time thing. Let me, let me come to my senses. No, it was on and on and on. And he was longing because this need was not met. He was begging, but nothing happened. Now, let's contrast it. Do you remember Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, verse 6. You remember about that? Who was filled? Who shall be filled? Those who hunger and thirst for carob tree stuff? No, righteousness. Yes. So we need to think about that. What was happening here is the opposite of John 4, verses 13 and 14. John 4, 13 and 14. When Jesus said, every, to, remember to the lady, the one at the well, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. And then Jesus says something amazing in John 4. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever! Exclamation point. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. What a contrast. He's, food, he's foodless. Not only that, we see some R's now. I'm moving on to the R's section in your sermon notes. Let's talk first about recognition. These are things that begin to happen in this younger uh, son's life. It's, it says something about his senses. Did you catch that? He's basically out of his mind. There's a recognition that goes on. He's out of his mind, which reminds me, sin does not have wisdom on its side. I'm going to tell you something. Sin never has wisdom on its side. I am so perplexed and frustrated with some of the bills that the New Mexico legislator is sending through committees. 
I've just, and then I'm reminded, Lamar, sin does not ever have wisdom on its side. Do you not know what's going to happen if you do this? Do you not know the ramifications? Okay, that's another topic. But he is out of his mind, and it, which makes sense. He doesn't have any wisdom at this point. He had to face reality. Recognition had to come. He now began to have recognition of the goodness of his father. I don't want you to miss that. Now, we know, we haven't gotten this character yet, but we know in this parable, the father represents God. God the Father. Okay, I want you to think about that. I want you to see that. He begins to recognize this. This, I would say, is the beginning. It's not repentance, but it's the beginning of repentance. Note something that he acknowledged and thought about his father. He began thinking about his father. His father had enough food for all. Did you catch that? Not only that, his father had enough food for all, for everyone, plus extra. Isn't that a wonderful picture of Creator God, God our Father, the God of the Bible? Repentance starts here. And I want you to think about it for a minute. Think about right where he is right now. Being found, you're lost and you want to be found. It does not require getting your act cleaned up. His act was not cleaned up at this point. He was a mess. He's just thinking about this. And I want you to know that God always cleans up the fish after he catches them. God is the one who saves. We are workers. We are co-laborers in his harvest. But God is the one who saves. And I'm telling you right now, he can save anyone. Anyone. You don't have to do this. That's works. You don't have to do this, 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 and this to come to God in repentance. You don't have to do that. It is amazing how he will clean himself, clean, clean others up. I'll, I'll never forget my, my good friend from the uh, Four Corners area, George, got miraculously saved. And God began to clean him up. His language, his dialect, if you know what I mean, it took about a year for God to finish cleaning that up. Because that's just how we talked out in the oil all those years. So see, God can do that. So there's a recognition there. Wait a minute. Let me recognize that my father has enough for all. And then there's a type of resolution. Look in the story and see what he says. He says, I will get up and go. Now think about, where did he go? He headed off to a distant country, a Gentile country, far away from anything to do with home. And then is this not a picture of uh, repentance? I will get up and go. In other words, I went this way, I'm going to do a 180 degree turnaround, and I'm going to head back towards home. He decides, praise God, that his place is with his father. Now remember, Jesus is sharing this parable, this story, with the scribes and Pharisees. And every, don't miss it, every word is important. You go, well, he just made it up. Listen, he is the master teacher. Every word is important. So is get up and go. And then he gives a great confession, which I think is another part of repentance. There's got to be some recognition. Hey, something's going on here. My life is not working like I thought it was going to work. This sin, even if I don't know what it means, something is going on here. I'm separated from my father. And then comes confession, which is another part of repentance. 
Did you see? Did you catch what he said? He said, I have sinned against man and God, heaven. So now there are no excuses. He's putting it out on the table. You know, there's a great difference between worldly sorrow and godly repentance. Can I say that again? Please hear me. I get, I get tired sometimes of all these statistics of salvation. And then one year later, you can't find the person. Or they have nothing to do with God. Listen, repentance is not, is not just sorrow. Repentance is not that. Okay? Worldly sorrow is different than godly repentance. I want my life to be better. Or I'm sorry I got caught. No, that's not true godly repentance. If we're going to make disciples, let us make disciples, not just converts. Now I'd say to you, let's get busy about, being, about God's work and making converts. But what happens on day one and day two and month six and, month, and then at the one-year mark, okay? There's a great difference. Let me share with you 2 Corinthians 7.10. You might want to jot this one down and really ponder it as you're thinking about people, as you're loving on your neighbors, as you're beginning to build a list of people that you, you know God is leading you to share Christ with. I, w- I want you to catch this. It's a hard verse, 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation. But worldly grief produces death. And I'm reminded of the parable of the sower and the seed. How that went out and it appeared some things began to grow and do well. But they got choked out. So there's got to be resolution. Notice he says, I have sinned. That word means to miss the mark. It's very different from verse 12. He starts off in this parable doing what? Give me. And now he is to the point where he says, I have sinned. So there's recognition that's going on. There's resolution that's going on. And then there's resignation. You know, that's a weird word, Lamar. What do you mean by that? Well, he is resigned to something. He states that he is not worthy. You may have a different word in your translation. Mine says worthy. He, he, I am not worthy. In other words, he, he's beginning to acknowledge and to figure out this and be resigned to the fact that, hey, I'm a sinner. He's seeing himself in the light of his sin, but yet he's still thinking. No action yet. He has this plan to just be this day laborer with the pigs. But finally, repentance comes as I read the story because the action occurs. You see, repentance always requires action. Repentance truly begins when we actually turn from our sin and from what we're doing and we run to God and there's action. He has given us the faith to know something. He can forgive. He can save. He can be boss, master, and Lord. Back again to the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember? Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember, we studied that, and it it wasn't a verse about funerals. It was a verse about someone actively mourning because they have discovered the sin in their life. And Scripture says they will be comforted. 
One of the great verses in the Bible, Acts 3.19, says this, Acts 3.19. Therefore, repent and turn back. See where I got that? See, I wasn't making it up. I'm not making it up. It really is there. Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. And look at this. So that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's no presence of the Lord when you're lost. It's not until you're found, until you repent. And then seasons of refreshing come as we are in the presence of the Lord. So resolve that he had led immediately to going. If you'll notice in the scripture, there's no 24-hour waiting period. It doesn't say that. He went. There was no delay. Can you imagine the humility that must be involved? I think that's what keeps some loss from being found is pride, no humility. And I want you just to think about this story. Jesus has painstakingly created all these details about the younger son and the condition that he is in, and now he has to go back. Remember, where is he? He's in a distant country, and now he has to take the trek or the trip back, and it was not an easy trip. Think about it. There's famine. Think about how weak he must have been. That's physically but emotionally, think of the shame that he must have felt. Told you we're going to spend a long time on the younger son. Let's go to part two now. The father's response. The first thing I want you to notice as you look at the second part of verse 20, you see that all the way through 24 is this. The father sees. He saw him. He saw him. Now you think about that for a minute. I've already mentioned to you that God that the father represents God there the father was looking he was looking as you study the text here each and every day he's looking even at the very moment that the son was coming back how in the world would he know that that was happening because he was looking he was looking and he sees and his response was swift and monumental look at at least four things that happened that are part of the father's response number one compassion Interesting word. He had compassion. The word means to feel deeply, or better yet, it means in the gut. You have a gut? You ever felt something in your gut? Well, this compassion, is he feeling it in his gut? It's absolute. The father shows compassion by doing something. There's action involved. What does he do? He runs to his son. His son was still far ways off. He runs to him, not waiting for the son to come to him. Again, that reinforced the fact if you are lost, if someone is lost, they don't have to do step A through Z to get to God. They need to just repent and turn to God and God, there he is, right there. Now God didn't have to run, did he? He was always there the whole time. He's right there. Okay. Compassion. I also see love. Notice the phrase there, he threw his arms around him and then he did what did you catch it he it's February month of love what did he do he kissed him do you see that that is an interesting word that doesn't mean it was one of those eh, eh. you ever seen those or one of those fake ones I Hollywood right they go hug and they kiss and they're kissing out into the air you know no this word is significant it means to kiss eagerly 
affectionately and repeatedly. He's hugging him and he's kissing him over and over again. That tells me something. It is love. There's no repulsion. Imagine what the guy looked like. Imagine what he smelled like. Imagine the thoughts that could have been going in the mind about what would you do with all the inheritance? There's no repulsion. There's love. I'm going to tell you something. That is an important thing to think about. If you are repulsed by someone, how are you going to love them? I didn't say you had to agree with what they're doing or what they're wearing or what they smell like or what they say. But if you're repulsed, I'll just mark you off the list. You can't reach that person. Why? You can't love them. But here we see this great picture, response of love. Let's move on. Celebration. There's a feast that is to occur with the fattened pig. No, it doesn't say pig. It's calf. He's back home. It's a calf. Now, what's interesting about the fatted or fattened calf is this. There was usually one of those, and they were set aside. They got to eat the good stuff. You know, they're in their little pen, taking care of, probably got a bath every day, and just getting fatter and fatter. Why? That calf was for a special occasion. And amazingly, the father says, go get that calf and prepare it. And notice the celebration is going, using the, the fatted calf. It's not just going to be the son and the father. It's going to involve others. It's going to involve the whole community. And then I also see restoration. Look what the father does. Look what God does for the lost. He gives him a robe. Did you see it? What kind of robe it is? It's the finest in the house kind of robe. It shows honor fit for a king or a regal guest. This robe I give to you. But not just that, it got a ring. What does the ring show? It shows sonship. The ring, think about it, it shows authority. And he got sandals. And you're like, well, what in the world? You gotta, you gotta really look at that. It wasn't just that his feet smelled or were dirty. The slave had no shoes. The slave, working in the pig pen, desiring to eat from the carob tree, some nasty thing. There's no shoes. And now, no, no, here are sandals. Wow. And then we get to verse 24. And I think it ties this parable beautifully to the two previous parables of lostness. Let's look at verse 24. Here's what the father says. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. He said he was dead and now he's alive. You see, the son didn't just have a problem, he was dead. And we have to communicate that with love to our world. It, it's not just that you have a problem. Coming to Jesus is not some self-help fix. It's not some pyramid scheme. It's not going to fix this, 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 or this in whatever area of life. That's not why you do it. He didn't just have a problem. The father says he's dead. The reason you got to repent and come to God is because you're dead spiritually and you need to be alive. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, what? Shall not 
perish but have eternal life. You go from dead to alive. John 5, 24, I assure you, Jesus says, amen, amen, so be it, so be it. I'm telling you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. The first part of Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Here's why heaven, remember the celebrations we looked at last week when a lost person was saved? There was a party in heaven. Listen, here's why heaven finds repentance so beautiful. Because it brings back to life those who sin has killed. And we all get it. When we become a human, when we go through this life, and there's a time in our life where the light bulb goes on for every person, I think it's different for people. Oh, sin. I, enter what, I understand what sin is. It is separating me from God. Really more than that. It's making you dead, but you can become alive. But he goes further. Look at the response. Not just my son, of, the son of mine. Did you catch that? Of mine. He's part of my family. He's not, he's not dead now. He's alive. But he was lost, and now he's found. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned. Isaiah 53, 6, we all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him, talking about Jesus, the Lamb, for the iniquity of us all. Luke 19, 10, we read last week, I believe, for the Son of Man has come to do what? To seek and save that which was lost. Not to seek and save that which has been found, but to seek and save that which has been lost. And notice at the end of verse 24, they celebrated. Wow, what a contrasting response compared to the audience. Again, don't forget, who is Jesus teaching right here? Who's the audience? It's those scribes and Pharisees. So they are celebrating. What a feast. Well, except one, which leads us to part three. It's the parable of two sons, a younger son and the older son verses 25 through 30 note the contrast in the older brother's response and let us learn from Jesus I really want you to see this this is I think going to convict some of us we had great encouragement in the father's response amen is that not encouraging there's hope for anyone I can share with someone and God might save them. How awesome that is. I have this name I'm concerned about, this person that I'm concerned about, this family member, whatever it is. Let us be encouraged. Now, let us be convicted. The response of the older son. First of all, he's separated and surprised. I want you to see that. He's not at the goings-on that were happening right at the moment. He's doing work away from the rest. Now, I know some of you will say, well, work is a good thing. Yeah, take it up with Martha and Mary and all those other people, okay? There's times, if you're a workaholic, you're a workaholic. There's times where you don't need to be working. You need to be involved in what God's doing. Hmm. So he's out, away, working. But we discover he has disdain towards his brother. I think he despised him. He could not believe what he had done. And now he has the gall to be coming back. So what does that do? Listen, if you have disdain for a lost person, hear me, church. 
If you have disdain for a lost person, how are you going to be an agent of God to help share the good news, the gospel, with them? Because disdain means you, there is no hope. Sorry, I shouldn't have pointed. I pointed directly at someone. didn't mean to do that. There is no hope for you. There is no way you can repent. That's what it means. We've got to get past these worldly systems and parameters that political systems, that um, common sense even, wisdom give us. And we have to move to the fact that if I disdain or despise someone, I'm going to be really surprised if they ever repent. Why? Because I, I may not say it, but the way I act is there's no hope for that person. Secondly, he was offended and jealous. He's angry. Do you see that in the scripture? It says that. It says he's angry. He's resentful. In fact, we could break those words apart and we could say he was even in a rage. And then he does something. He dishonors his father. Well, how does he do that, Lamar? He was the one who stayed on the farm. He was the one working. He dishonors his father because he does not want to join in the father's celebration. You see, it is not the younger son's celebration it is the father's celebration because this son of mine was dead and now is alive was lost and now is found and he doesn't want anything to do with it and then we get to self-righteous why why would you say that Lamar this is the reason it's me versus him it's me versus him he's boastful he's ungrateful if you break down those verses you'll find I I me I my it's all about him me versus him can I tell you something we got to get out of the business of comparing ourselves to other sinners or to lost people well Lamar I'm not gonna get on board I don't really don't want to do this evangelism stuff you know I'm I'm saved I'm so much better you can't do that comparison is no good let me just tell you this a theological phrase for what happens when you spiritually compare yourself to others ain't gonna work out ain't gonna end well it just doesn't and then what else I want you to see the final thing is unforgiving he's unforgiving in in this response there's no focus on repentance only on the sinfulness did you catch that all he can see is the sinfulness he cannot see the repentance he will not say brother, in fact. As we read the scripture, he, he identifies the brother as this son of yours. Now, I know you've never done that, parents. I, sadly, I, I've done that to Lynn a few times. I said, that boy of yours, <laughs> what does that mean? I was frustrated with one of the boys, right? Now, he, he doesn't say brother. He says, this sin of yours. It's such a picture of the people who are hearing Jesus right now, those scribes and Pharisees. And I would say a number of Christians today, can I say that, church? A number of Christians today would just soon not call someone a brother or sister. They get saved. It's just, no, and that person or that person. One hindrance to sharing the gospel is an unforgiving spirit towards a lost sinner. I want you to hear me. One of the hindrances that I think is underreported when it comes to evangelism, making disciples, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with others is an unforgiving spirit towards a lost person. I'm not saying we forget what they did or say it was okay. What happened to me was not okay. 
What happened to me was wrong. It was a sin. What happened to some of you was so wrong. And I'm not even saying you have to just go to that person right now and say, forget what you did, but this. But listen, that can develop into having an unforgiving spirit for that sinner and that sinner, that lost person and that lost person. Before you know it, we're better than everyone else. Church, hear me. And we don't want to share with the lost. Don't be unforgiving. Don't be like the older brother. Perhaps you're evaluating your life right now and you've been saying maybe the last two weeks, man, why can I get on board? Why can I take that step? Why can I not take the conversation a step further to spiritual things? Maybe because you deep down are unforgiving. Give it to God. Let's finish up today. Verses 31 and 32. Let's see the summary. The father is speaking, but he's not speaking to the younger son now. He's speaking to the older son. Here's what he says. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father at this point explains to the older son who should have known what true sonship is. He says, first of all, you are mine. You are with me. Your needs are met. It's all yours. You're the firstborn. What's the big deal? Why can't you get this? You're mine. Secondly, he restates again. And when Jesus restates something, I'm paying attention. What about you? He restates again, dead to alive, lost to found. Repentance. I think Jesus is teaching here true repentance had happened. The brother is truly saved. Not some prison confession or some deathbed confession or I got caught confession, but true repentance. And then third, don't miss it. He does not say, this son of mine. He says, this brother of yours. Wow. He's part of the family. So let us apply the Luke 15 parables. We've looked at three, three of them. Just a few things I want you to think about. You'll have to write fast if you want to drive them down. But maybe think of the word joy. Let's summarize in this way. Repentance is for the joy of heaven. It's for the joy of the church. And of course, it's for the joy of the sinner. Do you see that? So, so how can we apply this chapter to our lives? Listen, church, don't ever be embarrassed about calling someone to salvation. Don't do it. Because if that person repents and God saves them, there's joy all over the place. Right there with the Christians who know about it and with heaven. Secondly, calling a person to repent of sin is calling a person really to recognize their worth in God's sight. What does sin do in lives? Sin destroys dignity. Sin always destroys value. Repentance always restores value. There's great. The God of the universe would save a sinful, messed up little boy like me? Yes. And he instilled worth in me on that glorious night and still does every month of my life. And the same is true for many of you. You can see your heads nodding. 
Repentance, here's another one, isn't merely giving up this life's pleasures. That's what we need to get past. Listen, I'm a Baptist. Did you know that? And we love to say Baptists are people of the book. But unfortunately, you know what Baptists are sometimes? Oh, you're a Baptist. You're against all this instead of what you're for. Hear me? Hear me? Again, nowhere in Scripture does it say the primary fundamental purpose of a Christian is to always be right about everything. First of all, you and me are not going to always be right about everything. Mm. So I want you to think about that. Instead of the don't, 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 how about the do, do, do? In fact, when we share Christ with someone, how about instead of just spending so much time on giving up this and this, the quote-unquote pleasures of life, we instead emphasize that the person gains heaven's greater pleasures. Wow. You see, repentance returns a lost person to the presence of, and the pleasures of God. And they are so much better than the bar or than the you fill in the blank. A couple more things, we're done. Our emphasis on repentance isn't so much an emphasis on do's and don'ts. I mentioned that. It's more of just, hey, let's see life for what it really is. And if we see life, if I can get this person to see life for what it really is, that includes God. The American church, which we're a part of, must remember that Christianity and moralism are two different religions. Hello? You got real quiet. Some of y'all are not very happy right now. I'm telling you, Christianity and moralism, they're different. Of course Christians are moral, but if your God is moralism, you're not going to ever be a part of evangelism. It's got to be Christianity, people of the way, followers of Christ. It's a unique covenant relationship with God that makes us a Christian. Not because where we're born or what we think or what street we live on or what family we came from. Listen, it's a covenant relationship with God. That's what makes us a Christian. And finally, when we call a person to repent, once you remember all of chapter 15, when we call a person to repent, we're calling them into what God Almighty finds beautiful and joyful. Wow. And the purpose of creating these humans in his image is to what? Have a relationship with them. Quite a teaching moment, huh, that Jesus had. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of response. But I'm going to ask you right now, before I pray, I'm going to ask if you, if you are able and willing, and God prompts you, I want you to come forward and pray over a name. Do you have at least one name that is dead, that needs to be alive, that is lost, and needs to be found? I, there's something to be said for making a public declaration. We're not going to write it down. You don't have to tell me. But just come briefly and pray. In fact, I thought of three in 23. Why just one? Maybe we could have three names in 2023. See how I did that? Three, 23? Not that, not that good?
Yeah. Whatever it is, I'm going to pray you come. Of course, we'll be here. We're, we're ready to pray with you. If you're lost and need to be found, man, we're ready to talk with you about that, to help you with any questions you have. But I'm praying that people will come and give that name or names to the Lord just as a public act of submission. If you can't come forward, I understand that. Do that. Just sit down where you are and give it to the Lord and mark that chair. Don't write on it, but mark that chair that on this date, February 5th, I gave publicly that name or names to the Lord. God, save them. Use me as a co-laborer in your harvest. God, we pray that you'd move right now, that you'd touch hearts, that we would be open, that we'd respond to you. God, I pray that you would help us never take it over. I once was lost, but now I'm found. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.